I'll invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 16. For the last several years, the Lord has, has really had me reading, studying, meditating on the authority of the believer. And I want to share some things with you this morning that the Lord has shown me and is showing me. I certainly don't claim to know it all about this subject or any others, for that matter. But there are things that I believe, well, that I know, that the Lord has shown me that it made a huge difference in my spiritual life and my spiritual walk over the last few years. And increasingly so. I believe it will do the same for you. I'm trusting him to reveal even more to us. As we study and dwell on some of these truths. And so we encourage you to believe God with us in that respect. You know there's no situation that has overtaken you. That's a surprise to God. May have caught us by surprise. But he foresaw every situation that you ever encounter. And he knew that you had what it took to overcome it. That's true for us as a church family. It's true for us as individuals. There's no attack of the enemy that the church has suffered. Or that I've suffered personally. Or that you've suffered personally. It's taken the Lord by surprise. And the interesting thing about that to me, we talk about having faith in God, and rightly so. And faith in his word, and there's nothing in my opinion that's more important than that. But God has faith in you. He has faith that you'll stand strong and apply the word to overcome the things that the enemy has used against you to stop you. And to thwart his, God's plan and purpose for your life. Everything that the devil has designed against you. Is designed to stop you from fulfilling God's plan. In you and for you. Well you and I decide whether or not that will be successful. The devil doesn't decide whether or not he wins. God doesn't even decide whether or not he wins. You do. And it's by learning the, tr- the principles and the truths of the word of God. Some of the things that we'll be sharing this morning and throughout this series. That make the difference. In whether or not we are equipped. To make the decision effectively make the decision. To walk in victory. Well, Jesus asked in Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 16, excuse me, Jesus asked his question of his disciples. He's in a place where people are worshiping all kinds of false gods and idols and so forth. And he said, who do men say that I am? Peter speaks up. I don't know if it's because Peter knew more than the rest of the group. I don't think he did. But he seemed to be the one that was quick to speak. And so he said, well, some say that you're Elijah. Well, Elijah's been dead for a long time. 
So that would be reincarnation, which is not of God. So he said, some say that you're Elijah or Isaiah. Same thing. He's been dead a long time too. Or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked him the question. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, here's one thing about people that talk a lot. They sometimes stumble upon the things of God. Now, if you look at the things that Peter said throughout his, uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, the time that Jesus was here on the earth, Peter said a lot more that was wrong than what he said that was right. But when he hit on things that were right, he was really right. Well, this happened to be one of those times. So he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he makes a statement about Peter that a lot of people have misunderstood. He said, your name is Peter, which means uh, little rock, almost to the point of shifting sand. And that was certainly the, the earmark of Peter's life up until that point. But he said, upon this rock, not upon Peter, but upon the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say he'd build the church through denominations or through committees. Jesus said he would build the church. And he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like one translation of this in verse uh, 18 where it says the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. Somehow or another, it seems to me that most of the church world is thinking of the the devil on the attack. But the picture that Jesus paints, the illustration he gives, is that the church is moving forward and the gates of hell are trying to hold out against it. I think that's a picture we ought to have of the church. Not hunkered down trying to defend ourselves, but a mighty moving force. That the devil cannot withstand or withhold. But now the verse I want you to see is in verse 19. Jesus said in connection with building the church. Upon this rock the knowledge that he's the Christ. The son of the living God. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not. Shall not. Shall not. Prevail against it or withstand it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice that's in connection with the building of the church. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be, lo- shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, notice Jesus said he's, he's going to give us, the, or said he would, would give them, he has given us, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Notice it's not the keys to the kingdom. When we built the church, there were, uh, we spent some time, some period of time, identifying different people in different ministries that would need to have access to different parts of the church. And so we had a situation where somebody that that, uh, was in charge of the facilities was either going to have a whole set of keys, a big, thick ring of keys, or would have to set up a master key system. Now we set it up so that you could uh, 
have keys to the kitchen. Keys to the front door and keys to the kitchen, but you wouldn't be able to get in every other room. Now, I want you to notice that the Bible, that Jesus is not saying that he'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. See, that would be like somebody that could get into the front door and get into the kitchen. He says the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That would be like me who has a master key. They can get in anywhere. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are talking about the keys that unlock every door. Now, the reason I use that illustration is because I want you to understand something. At the time that Jesus spoke, people didn't lock their doors. They didn't have keys like we have. So the keys that he's talking about are not the keys that we're used to. The keys that he's talking about are the keys that were used in matters of education and higher learning. In those days, if you graduated some, what would be the equivalent of the university or some school of higher learning, they didn't give you a diploma to hang on your wall because nobody had offices for you to but, you know, to come see it hanging on your wall. They'd give you keys. And the key would be something you'd wear on your belt to show that you had mastered a certain area of study. So really, Jesus is saying this, and it works in both illustrations. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll make you masters of the kingdom of heaven. I'll make you masters of the kingdom of heaven. Now, certainly he's talking about principles. He's talking about someone who has knowledge and able to unlock the secrets or the the hidden things, things that are hidden from the world, but known only to those that are Initiated into the family of God. Now, let's stop and think about this. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it's talking about heaven itself, where God lives and where his throne is. But sometimes it speaks of the kingdom of heaven as being things down here. Same thing's true where the kingdom of God is concerned. You've got to check the context to see what he's talking about. So where it says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So many times people are thinking about something that's going to be ours or should be ours when we get to the, 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 the place called heaven. When this life is over and we're caught up into the presence of God in the place called heaven. But Jesus talked about different things regarding the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. I want you to look with me to some scriptures, a couple of different scriptures. To identify what Jesus is speaking of. Look with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gives us what is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's important that we identify that it's not a prayer for us. It was a prayer for his disciples. He taught his disciples to pray this. And I'll go so far as to say it's not a New Testament prayer. Jesus told us. That from the time of his resurrection forward, which we live in today, the prayer was to be directed to the Father in, in the name of Jesus. 
Well, this Lord's Prayer doesn't contain the name of Jesus. So it can't be a New Testament prayer. It was a prayer for them to pray in the interim period of time, right at the end of the close of the Old Covenant, before the New Covenant was uh, was ushered in. In other words, before Jesus finished his work on the cross. So Jesus said, he told his disciples, beginning in verse 9, Matthew 6, verse 9, After this manner, therefore pray ye. It's got some good principles for us to follow. But it's not a prayer for us to recite. Because as I said, it doesn't contain the name of Jesus. So it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Notice verse 10. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes forward. You know the rest of us. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, notice verse 10. Jesus told his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. Now, what does that mean? It means the kingdom had not come. Now, you know as well as I do that Jesus is not going to tell his disciples to pray for something that's contrary to the will of God. So the first thing that he identifies as the manner of which the disciples should pray prior to him going, prior to Jesus going to the cross and completing the plan of redemption. The first thing he prays is that they should ask for the kingdom to come. And notice in connection with the kingdom coming, he says that the will of God should be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Even as it is in heaven. Folks, please understand that God wants things to be on the earth just the way they are in heaven. Now, it's easy for us to go back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, and consider the creation story, the creation account, and see how God made it to see what God's will is for the earth. See, God didn't have a will for the earth when he created it that's different from his will for the earth today. God's will never changes because he never changes. So whatever the earth looked like when God made it, before sin entered the scene and corrupted things, was the will of God then and has to be the will of God today. Well, was there anything that God made before sin entered the scene that could hurt mankind? Was there any sickness? Was there any disease? Was there any unproductive tree? Were there any weeds or thorns? No, those are all things that happened after the fall, after sin came in and corrupted the earth. So what is God's will for today? What is God's will for the earth now? That there not be anything to hurt man, that there be no sickness or disease, that there be nothing to hinder man from receiving the full benefit and full result of the work of his hands. That has to be the will of God today. Or else God's changed. 
And if God's changed and the Bible's a lie and we don't know what to believe. So Jesus told the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 16 because this is going to shed some light on some things for us, I believe. Notice again what Jesus said in verse 19. Talking about building the church, he said, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice Jesus did not say, And I give unto you the, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and then I'll have all the power. Whatever I say goes. Whatever God wants for you is the way that it'll be. Because remember, God is in control. I hate that phrase. That thought, that wrong thought has robbed more believers of what belongs to them, to the work of Jesus and perhaps any other thing in the earth. Because believers in ignorance have accepted whatever the circumstances are to be the will of God. And that's entirely opposite from what Jesus is just saying. He said, and I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll make you masters of the principle that governs the kingdom of God. I'll make you masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice it starts on the earth. Now there's a reason for that. There's a reason why the language speaks that way. And that is, um, how do I say this? The language of this, this verse of scripture is really, really difficult. From the Greek to the English. Where it says, Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It literally means shall having been bound on earth. Or in, uh, shall having been bound in heaven. Let me give you an example of it. It's hard to explain, hard for me to explain. This is from Young's literal translation. And I will give to thee the keys of the reins of the heavens. And whatever thou mayest bind upon the earth shall be having been bound in the heavens. Well, you can understand why they didn't translate it that way. What does that mean? He goes on and says, And whatever thou mayest loose upon the earth shall be having been bound. I'm sorry, I can't even read it right. Whatever thou mayest loose upon the earth shall having been loosed in the heavens. The Amplified says it this way. makes a little bit more sense. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven in other words it's saying we have the authority to declare the same boundaries in our lives here on the earth that God has declared in heaven to bind what has been bound in heaven And to loose what has been loosed in heaven. Well, what's been bound in heaven? 
Well, again, it goes back to thinking about what heaven's like. There's no sickness in heaven, so we, can have, we have to say, have to conclude that sickness has been bound in heaven. So using that same principle, Jesus is saying, I'll make you masters. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and you shall be masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. And I'm using kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven interchangeably, at least in this context. And the sickness that's been bound in heaven, you can bind on earth. Well, what about what's been loosed in heaven? Every good thing has been loosed in heaven. There's nothing unfruitful or unproductive in heaven. So the blessings, the well-being, the peace that exists in heaven because it's been loosed there, you have authority as a master of the principles that govern the kingdom of God to loose those same things in your life here on the earth. Now let's prove this out. Let's just don't take my word for it. Let's prove this out. Look with me to some other scriptures. Let's start in... um, Well, where do we want to start? Let's start in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to take something out of context just for you to see the point. Jesus has cast the devil out of somebody and, and the religious leaders say that he did it by the power of the devil. It's amazing to me that religious leaders who never have any power themselves are quick to ascribe power, the power of God to the power of the devil. It would indicate or seem at least that religion will cause you to have more faith in the power of the devil than he does and than you will have in the power of God. Religion is a damnable thing. Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is a relationship. Huge difference. Jesus is saying, answering, he said, and if Satan cast out Satan, well, let me back up a little bit. Jesus knew their thoughts. This is in Matthew 12, verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Satan has a kingdom. Satan's kingdom is about bondage. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But, verse 28, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So he's saying deliverance is part of the kingdom of God. Well, then deliverance must be one of those things that's loosed in heaven that we can loose here on the earth. Bondage must be one of those things. Satanic oppression must be one of those things that's been bound in heaven that you have been given authority to bind here on the earth as well. Another place Jesus said, talking to his disciples, commissioning them to go out and minister in, uh, well, I think it's Matthew chapter 10. I didn't write it down. Let me check this out. 
Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told the um, disciples, he's sending the disciples out, the 12 out. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Please notice what they were to preach. The kingdom of heaven is coming soon. Which means it's not there yet. That's why Jesus commanded his disciples to pray thy kingdom come. Because it wasn't there yet. And as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely you give. Freely you should give. In other words. He's saying that these characteristics. These works that he's commanding them to do are a part of the kingdom of heaven that he's preaching, telling them to preach, is come near to them. How do they know the kingdom of heaven has come near? They're healing the sick. They're casting out devils. They're setting people free. It's telling us that the kingdom of heaven is about freedom. It's about healing. It's about well-being. In uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the 70 out. And he sends them out saying, into whatsoever city you enter, if they'll receive you, heal the sick that are therein and say, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. In other words, the kingdom of God is near. Not present, but near. How are they to know that the kingdom of God is near? Because of the healing works that they've performed. So these are all parts of the kingdom of God. These are all aspects or characteristics of the kingdom of God. Have to be. Because Jesus said so. Now this is what Jesus said. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's saying I'll make you masters. Of the principles that govern the kingdom of heaven. So that you can lose blessing. And healing. And well-being in every area. The peace of God that exists even as in heaven. Why? Because it's the will of God for things to be here on the earth in your life, just like it is in heaven. See, so often we have the idea that the kingdom of heaven is some far off thing. Look with me over to, to, um, uh, let's skip over to Luke chapter 17. I want you to see something else Jesus said about the kingdom. We've got the idea that the kingdom of heaven is something that will be revealed When uh, Jesus comes to the earth to set up his rule and reign here and defeats the devil once and for all. But I want you to notice something. It says in Luke chapter 17 beginning in verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. Again even the Pharisees realized the kingdom of God wasn't there. Now folks let me stop here for a minute. And deal with this idea that God's in, in control of everything. So many times, people have the idea that God is controlling the situations and the circumstances of the earth. Well, if he is, then he's working contrary to what the word of God reveals to us that his will was for the earth when he created it. God created the earth without sickness and disease. So if God's using sickness and disease today, For whatever purpose, to teach people 
purify them, sanctify them, or whatever other reason many people give, then that means he's operating contrary to what the Bible reveals his will was in the beginning. And there's only one conclusion you can draw from that, and that is God's different now than he was when he created the earth. Well, if God's different today than he was when he created the earth, what's he going to be like tomorrow? See, if we have no assurance, if we have no solid evidence or solid foundation for faith that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then you don't know what to expect. And you don't know who's doing what in your life. So you have no way to resist anything thinking you're resisting the devil. See, the Bible gives us commands. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But if you think sickness is from God, what are you going to resist? If you think adversity and affliction and trouble in life is from God, what are you going to stand against? And what would be the difference in God using sickness and disease to purify his people and using sin to purify his people? The Bible says sickness and disease is the result of sin. So what's the difference? See, that line of reasoning just does not hold water in any form whatsoever when you compare it against the truth of the word. So the Pharisees are asking Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? They know it's not here. They had more sense than most Christians. They knew the bad things and the difficulty and things that were going on wasn't because God was doing them. They knew it was the kingdom of Satan that was at work in the earth and still is. So they demanded of Jesus when the kingdom of God should come. And he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation or outward show. In other words, you're not going to know the kingdom of God is here by what you can see outside. Now that tells us that the kingdom of God that he's speaking of is not when Jesus comes back in his glory. And defeats Satan at the battle of Armageddon. And sets up his thousand year reign during the millennium. The Bible says every eye will see that. The Bible says the, eye, the, the skies will be opened. And every eye shall see and every ear shall hear. When Jesus comes back in glory. So the kingdom of God that he's talking about. That's being referred to. That we've been given keys or the master made master of the principles that govern it is not the kingdom that Jesus is coming back to set up on the earth. Well, notice what he says. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation or outward show. You won't be able to see it with your natural eye and say, this is the kingdom of God. Neither shall they say, low here or low there. It won't be in isolated spots. For, or because, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So when Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, he's talking about mastering something that's unseen. He's talking about mastering something that's inside you. Now, let me point you to another scripture. In, uh, look with me over to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is talking about the... Um, how the birds don't sow and the, the lilies are, the birds don't sow, but the God gives them something to eat. 
And the lilies of the field, they don't do anything to clothe themselves, but God makes them glorious in splendor and so forth. Verse 28, Luke 12, 28, Jesus says, If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? One uh, minister I heard uh, concerning this scripture looked at it in a different way than I ever had. He said, God will even clothe people of little faith. I've always looked at that as God saying there's no reason to have little faith because God will take care of it. But I like his look on it too. God will take care of people even with little faith. And seek not what you shall eat nor what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I want you to notice, folks, we cannot say that material provision or wealth or things like that are a part of the kingdom of God. But we can say without equivocation, without fear of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Without doubt of any type whatsoever that material provision and the wealth of the world comes as a result of the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Matthew says it this way. Matthew 6.33 says it this way. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The pursuit of the kingdom of God, the understanding of what God has done for us through Jesus and the righteousness that we've been made through his sacrifice will open the door to all kinds of physical and material blessings. Now, I want you to keep reading with me because there's another phrase that Jesus, another statement Jesus makes is real important. Seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be you of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth you have need of these things. But rather seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Notice verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure... To give you the kingdom. In other words, God wants it to be in your life like it is in heaven. God wants it to be in your life now like it is in heaven. So many Christians seem to have the idea that when we get to heaven, we'll escape all this and finally have peace. But God wants it to be like that for you now. I'll go so far as to say it this way. It is the will of God for you to notice very little difference in your own personal life when the transfer from heaven to earth is from the transfer from earth to heaven is made. You'll be the same person. Your body will be different. You'll receive your glorified body. So your body will be different and your surroundings will be different. But for you, it should be the same. That's the will of God. It shouldn't be that you get to heaven and you finally say, Oh, good Lord, finally I'm healed. No, we should walk in health here. Now, we might get to heaven and say, Wow, we've never been in a place where there was no sickness. Where there was no law of sin and death. God doesn't expect you to wait till you get to heaven, the place called heaven, to experience those things. 
And notice it says it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, how's he going to give you the kingdom? See, so often the church is waiting for, the, for God to do the part that he gave us to do. And we're trying to do God's part. The Bible says to cast your cares over on him. Well, so many times we as Christians want the Lord to take our cares from us. Well, that's not the way it works. You've got to throw them over on him. He doesn't take them until you throw them to him. It's like playing catch and wanting the other guy to come get the ball. Doesn't work that way. So it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants things to be for you like they are in heaven. He's made a way for them to be for you like they are in heaven. Now. And that's what Jesus has given us the keys to. He's, Jesus is enabling us to become masters of the principles that govern the will of God on the earth in our lives being just like it is in heaven. Is this making any sense? Well, if only we knew what those principles were. Come back next week. (laughs) I am running out of time, so I want to close this up a little bit. Look with me over to Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells his disciples a parable. Well, not just the disciples, but there was a crowd of people there. There was a great multitude, and Jesus taught from a ship by the seashore. And he tells them the parable of the sower sowing the word. Now, we'll get into this in some depth as we go through this series. But this morning, I don't want to take the time to go through all the ins and outs of it. So let me just suffice it to say that we'll pick up the story when the disciples come to Jesus after the teaching is over and after the multitude has gone away. And they said, Master, we don't understand what this means. You talked about the sower sowing the word and all that kind of stuff. Can you tell us what you meant by all this? And so it says in verse 11, Mark chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus said, Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus is saying the understanding of this parable, the sower sowing the word, is to understand the mystery. Many translations, maybe even most translations, translate this secret. I don't have a problem with that translation, but it means even more than that. See, the mystery, the word mystery is used in speaking of an initiation rite. It is a secret, but it's a secret only to those that are on the outside. It's understood by those that have been initiated into the group or the organization or the club or whatever. Well, we've been initiated into the family of God by the blood of Jesus. And so it's saying to everyone that's a part of the family of God, you have the opportunity 
to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That would mean the secrets of healing, the secrets of deliverance, secrets of freedom, the secrets of material possessions and wealth. Under you, it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but not to everybody. Not to everybody, but to those that are on the outside. It doesn't belong to them. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive. Now, I want you to notice the perception that it's talking about. Perception has to do with spiritual insight. Spiritually dead people don't have spiritual insight. So he's talking about the kingdom of God that is within within us clearly comes to us because of the new birth. The being made alive in spirit that occurs when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive. And hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Now it sounds like Jesus is picking and choosing who he wants to forgive. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the only way to forgiveness, the only way to conversion is through him. Not through the knowing of the principles of the kingdom of God. There's no back door into heaven. And when Jesus talks about them that are without, he's talking about them that have rejected him. He's saying to them that have rejected him is the Christ. Remember, that's the principle upon which he'll build the church. The truth upon which he'll build the church. That the gates of hell shall not prevail against. And it's upon that knowledge that Jesus is the son of God. That he gives us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying it only belongs to those that are in the family. Not those that are outside the family by choice. Not those that have rejected Jesus. These principles, though they're principles that will work, can only be spiritually understood by those who are spiritually alive. Now let's get into just the first part of it. He explains the sower soweth the word. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. How does the sower sow the word? By speaking. How do you sow the word? By speaking. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now this is as far as I want to go into this story. You know at least this much of the parable, I'm sure. There's three different types of ground. Or four different types of ground, I should say. Three that are unproductive and one that is productive. The first type of ground that he talks about are those by the wayside, where the fowls of the air scoop in and take away the seed. Jesus explains what that means. He says the sower sows the word, but there's a certain type of people who after the word was sown, notice where it's sown, in their hearts. In their hearts. That means your spirit. Satan comes immediately and steals that away. Now we know that there's only one way that the devil can work. And that's through bringing thoughts to your mind. 
And every circumstance or adversity that comes in life, comes against you in life, is designed to make you think contrary to the truth of God's word. To contradict what God has said for the purpose of you thinking contrary to what God has said. So that then you speak contrary to the word of God. That's everything that the devil has. That's his only trick. That's his only, his only work in the earth. He influences circumstances to influence your thinking, to influence your speech. So when Jesus said the sower sows the word, he's saying speaking words plants in your heart. Plant seed in your heart. And he says, if you don't understand this principle, you can't understand anything else that the Jesus said in parables. And you'll never know the mysteries or become masters of the mysteries of the, the principles that govern the kingdom of God. Now, with that in mind, turn with me over to Romans chapter 5. I have in the, uh, I intend to take apart the parable of the sower sowing the word in great detail in the coming weeks so that we understand the principle to become masters of the kingdom of God. Notice in verse 12, Romans chapter 5, Paul said, By the Holy Ghost, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, the word death here means a couple of different things. Specifically, it means spiritual death. But generally, it means everything that is a byproduct of spiritual death. For example, sickness is a result of death coming into the world through Adam's sin. Poverty or lack is a part of the spiritual death that came in the world through Adam's sin. It wasn't that way before the sin, before Adam sinned, before the fall of man. So anything that the world changed to or to become as a result of the sin of Adam is a byproduct of spiritual death. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Let's go back to the beginning. God created the earth to produce for man abundantly. Every tree that he made was fruitful. Every tree that produced fruit produced perfect fruit. No worms in any apples. There were no thorns. The Bible tells us specifically that that was a part of the curse that came upon the earth as a result of Adam's sin. That the work of his hands would produce thorns and thistles, which means there weren't any beforehand. See, the earth we live in now is perversion of the perfect place that God created. Now, when Satan comes down, well, I say comes down. He was already here in the earth when God recreated it and put man in the middle of it. But Satan looks at the earth and sees that it's a perfect place. He sees that God's man, Adam, has been given one command and one command only. 
and that is he's not to eat of the tree of the fruit uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every other tree he can eat of everything else that god created was created for his benefit and well-being satan knows the principles that govern the kingdom of god to what degree adam knew them we don't know but satan knew them very specifically he knew that if he could get Adam to take action against what God told him, against what God commanded, then he, Satan, could ruin God's perfect place. Well, we know he was successful. We know that he was successful in getting Eve to eat and Adam to follow right behind her. And think about what happened from that point. That one sin, that one wrong action, that one act of disobedience was the seed of all the sickness that mankind has known for thousands of years. There was in that one action the seed of death. Every bit of poverty and lack, starving children in foreign countries, that mankind has experienced since the Garden of Eden has come from one simple act. Now, who would have thought that one action would contain such destruction? But every bit of the destruction, every bit of the evil, Hitler killing six million Jews, the mass murders that have taken place, the other evil men in history have all come from one simple action. What I want you to see is the one action in word and deed produced a tremendous, tremendous harvest, a harvest of evil, some of which we're still paying the price for today. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. Now, how was that sin transmitted? It didn't originate with Adam. It originated with Satan. How did Satan get Adam to do what he wanted him to do? He spoke words. So the words that suggested disobedience to God's command were the original seed that brought upon all the evil that mankind has known throughout history. Words planted seeds, a seed. That created all the evil that people blame God for. Children born deformed. Is a result of the seed of Satan's words. Spoken to Adam. All the murders. Thefts. Robberies. 
child abuse, any and every evil thing you can think of came from one seed. The words that Adam spoke, or I'm sorry, the words that Satan spoke to Adam and Eve. So when Jesus says, if you understand the parable of the sower sowing the word, you can understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You can become a master of the kingdom of God and all that pertains to it. Now we're right there in Romans chapter 5. Let me close with verse 21. Don't want to leave you on the downside of things. Notice verse 21. I'm sorry, it's not verse 21, it's verse 17. For if, the word if literally means since. There are four words used in the Greek language to this translated if. The first is the imperative and it means since. That's this one. For if, or literally since, by one man's offense, that's talking about Adam, death reigned by one. Well, we know that's a fact. Anybody doubt that in any form whatsoever? Anybody have the slightest amount of doubt concerning that? No, we know that Adam, through the seed of Satan's words spoken to him, and the action that he took based on that seed being planted, literally, Satan spoke the word. He planted a seed into Adam's heart. And when Adam acted on it, it came into being. For since by one man's sin... Death reigned by that one man. Much more. Much more. Much more. Now this phrase much more is used several times in the New Testament. Paul's the one that uses it. And it literally means this. It's so far beyond that it's not even right to make the comparison. For since by one man's offense or sin, death reigned by one, much more. They which receive the abundance of grace, that's the finished work of Jesus, and of the gift of righteousness, that's the spiritual change or spiritual rebirth or renewal that takes place on the inside of us when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign shall reign Amplified says reign as kings shall reign in life not when we get to heaven but in this life shall reign in this life by one Jesus Christ now folks here's what the Bible is telling us it's saying just as the seed was planted by Satan into Adam's heart that became Adam's when he acted upon it to disobey God's command. Much more than the results of the spiritual death and the consequences of death that came upon all of mankind that we're still dealing with today. Much more than those results are the results of the seed of God's word planted in your heart and acted on 
by receiving Jesus as the Lord of your life and understanding and being a master of the principles of the kingdom of God shall cause you to reign as kings in this life over the law of sin and death because you're in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, if that would ever dawn on us, the world itself couldn't contain us. But so often what we think is, well, Pastor Mike spent a long time talking about the murders and the child abuse and kids being born deformed and all those results of spiritual death. Then the world is a terrible place. And you know, Satan is the God of this world. And the Bible says men will get worse and worse. And that things will get worse and worse toward the end. Paul is saying those things can't even be compared. Can't even be compared to the results of the kingdom of God that are planted by words that are planted into your own heart by words. Jesus said, what shall we liken the kingdom of heaven unto? It's like a mustard seed, which is the least of all the seeds, smallest seed that you can think of. But it grows into the biggest tree around. It grows into the biggest tree so that everybody comes and lodges in in its branches. Your words manifest the kingdom of God. Your words manifest healing, manifest abundance, manifest freedom. I'll even go so far as to say this. You don't even have to believe for prosperity. You just pursue the kingdom of God, which comes by planting the word of God into your heart. Abundance will be a natural byproduct. You don't have to chase the stuff. Stuff will chase you. By planting the word of God, by planting the seeds of God's word into your own heart. How do you do that? Say what God's word says. Say what God's word says. I'm seeing more and more, more than ever before, the importance of words. And I've been preaching you have what you say for 30 years. Here. Longer than that, not here. But we started this church preaching that you can have what you say. But you know what? You can really have what you say. Your words are the seeds which produce greater results than the law of sin and death in the earth were produced by Adam's actions because of the seed of the word of Satan. Whose word counts for more, God's or Satan's? Whose word carries more power, God's or Satan's? Now, I understand that this is wrong thinking or strange thinking, not wrong thinking, but strange thinking to a lot of people. Let me, uh, I said I was going to close. I've been gone for two weeks. Let me remind you of a scripture over in Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Paul said, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the word carnal means body ruled. The mind are the thoughts that are governed by the natural circumstances. That's what he's talking about. Now, he's speaking specifically about the unsaved, but we know that Paul speaks of carnal Christians. What makes a carnal Christian? A carnal Christian is somebody whose spirit has been renewed, whose mind has not. They've been born again in spirit, but their minds haven't been renewed to the truth of the word. And so notice what he says about this carnal mind. He said the carnal mind is enmity. It's the enemy of God. It's enmity against God. It means it's the enemy of God. That means thinking in line with circumstances and outward appearances is the enemy of the kingdom of God. If it's the enemy of God, it'd have to be the enemy of his kingdom, wouldn't it? The carnal mind is the enemy of God. Now, that goes back to the thinking that I suggested before where people think, well, yeah, but the devil, look at how much the devil is doing in the earth. Why do we think that? Because of circumstances. That's carnal thinking. Spiritual thinking is to think, well, God's word says, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness who reign as kings in this life by one Jesus Christ. And those things, Paul said, shouldn't even be compared to one another. Because the carnal mind is the enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God or the word of God, neither indeed can it be. So to be a master of the kingdom of God, you're going to have to change your thinking. To be a master of the kingdom of God, you're not only going to have to understand how the principle works, you're going to have to change your thinking. Now, that doesn't mean you have to know everything. You may not know this, but I'm a farmer by trade. I grow tomatoes. That's all I grow. That's all I can grow. I had some tomato plants this year that were eight, between eight and nine feet tall. And they grew out in every direction. Now, they started from one tiny little seed. Now, I don't know how it works. I don't know that any farmer really knows how that when you put a seed into the ground, that seed breaks open, germinates, and draws in the nutrients from the soil, adds water to it and the, the warmth of the sun on the, shining on the soil, and all of a sudden grows a plant that's eight or nine feet tall. Well, I say all of a sudden, it's not like it's overnight, but you know what I mean. I don't know how it works, but I know it works. And since I know it works, I plant those seeds every year. And it works every year. Now, I don't know any more about it now than I did the first year that I did them, than planted them. And I'm a rookie. I mean, there are people that do this for a living. But I know it works. I don't know how the word spoken into your heart makes things come to pass. 
I don't know how all the ins and outs of how speaking the word of healing nullifies the existence of sickness in the body. But I know it does. Well, how do, you, how do you know it does, Pastor Mike? Have you seen it work? Well, yeah, I have seen it work in some situations. But other situations I'm believing for that I haven't yet seen it work. Now, here's where people get tripped up. They stop and think, well, I tried that for a week or two and it doesn't work. So why should I keep it going? Well, that's like saying my tomato plants aren't big enough. They aren't as big as I want them after a month. So giving up on them. That's carnal thinking. That's the carnal thinking, the wrong thinking, that's the enemy of God and the enemy of his kingdom. That's the wrong thinking that caused Satan to be able to successfully plant the first seed of doubt in Adam's mind that it caused him to, that was the catalyst for him taking action against God's word. Folks, God's been talking to me a lot about having chosen me to come here. There's a lot better people that he could have chosen. A lot more spiritual people than he could have chosen. People that know more about the Bible than I know. People that are better than, with people than I am. There's a lot of people that he could have chosen other than me. I don't have any illusion to think that I'm the only one that could have made this thing go. Dear Lord. I look at it as God made it go in spite of me. But there's one thing about it that I can say without hesitation or fear of contradiction. And that is, he knew that no matter what the devil tried to do to stop me and the church, we'd keep going. I'd like to be able to tell you that this situation in my hand that the doctors call Parkinson's and in my foot, you don't see it so much in my foot because I keep my weight on it. It'd be hard for my foot to shake when my weight's on it, you know. But when I'm sitting down, it'll go to town. I'd like to be able to tell you that my faith is such that will cause it to diminish more and more and more until finally it just disappears. I don't know that to be true. I'd like to be able to tell you that it won't get worse. I don't know that to be true. But I can tell you one thing. If it gets to the point where it's so bad that somebody has to hold a microphone for me, I'll keep preaching faith. I'll keep telling you that the word of God is true. Because it's not based on what things look like. It's not based on how things appear. It's based on the truth and the reality of God's word. And heaven and earth will pass away. But God's word will never fail. One thing I do know about God choosing me is he knew that I'd never give up. I hope he counted that as a plus. Because that's just a fact. I believe that when we take that attitude, I believe that's a spiritual characteristic. 
I believe when we take that attitude and that position, it gives God all kinds of room to work. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, in spite of circumstances, say, by Jesus' stripes I was healed. And if the word of God is true, thank God it is, I shall have my healing. And the same thing is true for whatever you're facing. The same thing is true for whatever you're facing. God has more faith in you than you have in him. No matter how much faith you have in him. I believe God to the max. And he believes in me more than I believe in him. He believes you can and will do it. Now I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Your words matter. You'll have what you say. Well, let's pray. Better not try to quit again, just the end. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word has been our sure foundation for the life of our church. Your word is just as true today as when it was first spoken to us. We thank you, Lord, for that which has been accomplished. The abundance of grace. The finished work of Jesus. We have received that abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness by making Jesus the Lord of our lives. And we declare, Father, that your word is true in our lives and declare that we are reigning as kings in life. Now, it may not look like we're reigning in every area. It may look like the devil is working ferociously against us. It may even look like he's winning. But your word says that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Your word says that this is the victory that overcomes the world and all the work of the devil, even our faith. So we declare that the word is working mightily in us. We declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that all of our needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We declare that the blessings of God are overtaking us because we seek first your righteousness in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, that our words are coming to pass. Our faith is giving substance to that which we hope for. Our faith is giving substance to our healing. Our faith is giving substance to material blessing and prosperity. Our faith is giving substance to the healing of family relationships. Our faith is giving substance to the kingdom of God being made manifest in our lives. We worship you, Lord. We magnify your goodness. We thank you. For all that you've done. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And because we say it from our hearts, it's settled for us. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's all stand.
Hallelujah. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Say it this way. Jesus is my Lord. I've been made righteous by his blood. Therefore, I reign as a king in this life by Jesus Christ. My words are coming to pass. They're like seeds planted in the earth. Bringing forth a spiritual harvest as well as a natural harvest to make the kingdom of God a reality in my natural life. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. Have a great day. Come on back and be with us tonight for Healing School if you can.